This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Hey, what's up, Chris Nation? It is Dave. I am actually not in this episode with Isaac and Sean. You will hear from me tomorrow night with the site manager from GBB, Joe Molinax. We had a little bit of technical difficulties getting through the, uh, the show with Isaac and Sean. So you're going to hear some stuff where it's a little bit choppy. We get some robot action. And some of the stuff is cut off mid-thought. And I apologize for that. I went in to try and piece it together the best that I could. I did not want to miss out. There's, there's a lot of places where there's good information. And I did not want you guys to miss out on it. So I kind of left some I, I, weird transitions is what we'll go with. So we apologize. This is not the quality that we normally put out, but it's a lot of great information. We appreciate Sean for coming on. Great stuff from him and Isaac. I'll go away for now and let Isaac take over. I hope you enjoy the show. We'll see you soon. What's up, Grizz Mason? Welcome to the Hoop Ball Grizz Podcast. Isaac Simpson with you, and you can find me on Twitter at Isaac underscore rivals. That's I-S-A-A-C underscore rivals. Flying solo tonight on the hoop ball side is my co-host David Williams. You can find him on Twitter at dwill2111. We'll be with you tomorrow night along with a very special guest, site manager of SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues, Joe Mullinex. But tonight I'm joined by a very special guest as well. He's also from SB Nation Grizzlies as well as the host of the Locked On Grizz podcast. You can find him on Twitter at StatsSAC. That's S-T-A-T-S-S-A-C. It's my man, Sean Coleman. Sean, how you doing tonight? What's going on, Isaac? Uh, David, hope y'all um, are doing well. Uh, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, you know, I've been looking forward to talking with Isaac, uh, you know, for a while now. We, we don't have much to talk about when it comes to college sports because, you know, Isaac has his allegiances. I have, <laughs> I, I, I have much much more intelligent i'm just kidding i have my <laughs> allegiances but when it comes to the grizzlies we, we both love uh, we have love it and have plenty to talk about so it's a pleasure to be with you isaac thanks for having me hey no no problem thanks for jumping on yeah he's a fan of of that team over there in the east man uh east tennessee <laughs> some team down there in knoxville never never heard of him no but seriously uh yeah i mean he's a he's a big time boss fan obviously i'm a memphis fan cover the team uh, alumni as well so uh we don't have much to talk about there but we definitely share a passion for the Grizzlies. As far as me, man, I'm heading out to Destin tomorrow for, for vacation, although the forecast doesn't look great, man. A lot, a lot of rain in the forecast. I think there's a tropical depression that's somewhere in the Caribbean that's causing some storms in that area. So, praying it's not a complete washout, man, but it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it, a chance to, to get away, man. It's been a, been a, been a long year and a half, man. Um, the, the pandemic and everything that's going on, I think everybody's been, been having a tough time. Like, finally, we're finding some sense of normalcy here, so... Glad to be getting back to that. Uh, this was supposed to be a four-man outfit, but due to scheduling conflicts, we decided to split it up. As I said earlier, David's going to be with Joe tomorrow night, and Sean's joining me tonight. But we're going to discuss a myriad of topics tonight, and I want to start off with the Justice Winslow option, uh, which could potentially affect which direction this offseason goes. Uh, will they pick up that option? Should they pick it up? Why or why not? What say you, Sean Coleman? The option itself, I don't think they should pick up. Uh, I certainly am not as convinced that Justice Winslow is truly going to be a part of this team's future like they had hoped he would be when they traded for him. And I don't really think it's anybody at, at fault. It's just a lot of stuff obviously has changed since then. But you also have to give it a fair shake. And so, so while I don't think the option should be picked up, it's because of the money. It's not necessarily become because of the player. I do think Justice Winslow is a Grizzly next year. I think they declined the option possibly agree to a lower money amount option in a prove it type deal for him maybe put something on the back here of a one plus one type deal partial guarantee however have you when it comes to the contract but you know I, I see some other options out there where they could pick up the option and trade justice that that just doesn't seem to be kind of what the grizzlies do so at the end of the day I think that he is going to be a Grizzly next year. I do think that it's going to be a lesser money amount. And the thing that I'll say is this, the one encouraging thing 
that I see with Justice Winslow. Last offseason, Dylan Brooks, Jonas Valanciunas, and Kyle Anderson were all healthy and all had the opportunity to focus on their roles in Taylor Jenkins' system. This offseason, Justice Winslow and Jaron are healthy. They're going to be able to do the same thing. Dylan, Kyle, and Jonas are coming off career years. Maybe you could see some good things happen with Justice and Jaron. Don't want to say that that's a guarantee, but I think that there's good reason to have faith he'll be better, and I think he'll be with the Grizzlies next year in some format. Yeah, a lot has been made of, of the comments to us during the end of the season, media availability from Grizzlies GM Zach Kleiman and head coach Taylor Jenkins. From my perspective, from listening to them, when they talked about him in their press conference, it sounded like they were talking about a guy whose employment address is still going to be 191 bill next season. And whether that's on the full $13 million or they declined it and, and reworked the deal, that remains to be seen. But I think if they, they pick it up, I think it's twofold. I think, number one, I think it's just seeing it through. They've invested a, a lot of time into this deal. Um, and I think it would give Justice a, a full offseason where he's not rehabbing, uh, but he's working on this game and a full training camp to build chemistry for with his teammates and try to find out what what is his role within the framework of his team. Because I don't think backup point guard is going to be that role. If he, if they do create a role for him and he ends up working out, I don't think it's going to be at, at backup point guard. And the second thing I think, and you kind of touched on this, if they pick up that option at, at the full $13 million, even if it doesn't work out, it gives you a $13 million expiring contract, which from the time that they pick it up until next year's trade deadline, that's an asset that you can use to help facilitate a trade and, and I just think it works out both ways. I kind of do think they pick it up at the full $13 million. We'll, we'll see what happens, but it is, it's hard to say do I want them to pick it up or not because it just depends on what they would do if they didn't pick it up. Well, it, are they going to be a player in free agency if they have that money or would they just let that money just roll over? Um, I, again, I've gotten, always been on the train that they will, and I think they pick it up at the full 13 for the two reasons that I just said. But again, if if they were going to actually use that money in free agency, I think it might they might be better served not picking up that option and maybe doing something like you said, maybe declining it and get them at a small amount on a prove it deal. But we'll we'll see what happens. But it's going to be interesting. But that that right there is kind of the domino that could could set off this whole offseason. No, you you bring up a great point, and that's the, to to your point. One of the things that it comes down to is is that if they decline it. That potentially creates more options for them because then if for yeah. some reason they don't sign him, they could use it to spend somebody else. But picking it up also creates options for him to be a trade. So, you know, at the end of the day, it, it sounds like kind of like you said to me, they want to create a situation that will, you know, breed opportunity for him to be, you know, as much of a value as he can. But I certainly can say what does fit this Grizzlies uh, front office's MO is having options on the table. You can see them having options declining it or picking it up. It's a great point. You know, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see which direction they go for sure. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why this offseason is so intriguing. I mean, there's a lot of different directions this thing can go. But going back to, going back to Justice, and you see a lot of talk about how bad he was. And he was bad. Don't, don't get me wrong. But you look at some of these numbers, and he clearly wasn't right. I mean, he's a better player than he showed in his short time here. I mean, he's a career 32% three-point shooter on 2.3 attempts per game. That's not great, but it's a hell of a lot better than the 18% that he shot this season. Also a career 41% shooter from the field. He shot 35% from his season. So, I mean, he's a much better offensive player than what he's shown. I mean, he clearly wasn't right. Will he ever be back to the level that he was when he's fully healthy? Who knows? Maybe not. But I think this front office is, is shown the ability that they're, they're not going to rush into anything. I think they're willing to give him time. And, and again, I mean, they talked about in that press conference that they, the work that he did to get back and they feel like he still has something left to give. So again, in, in some capacity, whereas at the full 13 million or at a lesser amount, if they decline the option, I think he's still going to be a, a Memphis Grizzly next year. And again, I, I've been a been a fan of his. I've somehow got labeled as the justice Winslow guy. So anytime he struggled or anything, I had a lot of ads on Twitter, people in, in my mind, uh, in my on my time timeline, so I'm I'm kind of pulling for him and hopefully that he can kind of prove some of these people wrong because I mean they it, he does not have a lot of fans within within his fan base. So hopefully he can turn it around and get back to the player that he was in Miami when he was fully healthy. But moving on, man, now being being able to fully reflect back on year one and year two of John Morant, how would you characterize his maturation and growth process 
kind of comparing the two seasons. Yeah, the uh, growth process is a, a more advanced version of what he does well. And when I say more advanced, it's knowing when to utilize one strength and then when to utilize the other. And specifically, it's the ability to, you know, potentially to the point of taking over games and, you know, being able to be just a consistent scoring threat, a consistent source of pressure on the defense, especially getting into the lane. You saw it, obviously, the best example we've ever seen from jaw we've ever seen from a memphis grizzly game two of the utah series yeah. and he just consistently was in the lane but there's also been times when the grizzlies were playing their best basketball of the season in early april he was more of a kind of a complimentary role a distributor if you will doing very good things to set up three-point shots and just keep the grizzlies offense flowing so knowing when to be one version of himself and the other we also saw him improve his three-point shooting as well i think that we got back to seeing the jaw that we saw in the the first two games of the season that jawed an all-star level so it may not have be as been over the full season as much as everybody would have liked but we saw progress especially with his decision-making aggressiveness and maturity on the court i really do like what i saw from jaw and i'm really hopeful for year three which is going to be critical for him and the grizzlies yeah we, we agree uh, pretty much fully there uh there was one point in the season where if you had asked me about his progression from year one to year two i would have said he regrets. Like you said, we didn't see there were parts that during times during the season where we didn't see as much four quarter job that we saw in, in year one. There were times where he'd appear passive and and just was ready to allow, allow his teammates to kind of kind of dictate the pace. And, and he's the the star, quote unquote, star of his team and the leader from the point guard position. And you kind of wanted him to be more aggressive. And at times he just felt like he settled in, in late in games when, when the team really needed him and he kind of kind of faded away and deferred to his teammates. And I was like, man, well, that's not something that we saw a lot of last year. And for some reason, I don't know if it was tired legs or what it was, but at, at times during the season, he wasn't as aggressive as you would like to have seen him. But later in the season, I mean, he really, I mean, you know, so you talked about the, the, the second Golden State game there at the end of the season. You talked about in the playoffs and, and what he did times. He really put this team on his back. And we saw some things during those times that we didn't even see in year one. So I, I think John's going to be fine. Work ethic is there. You see. You can even see from he was shooting, I think, something like 26% from three, ended up north of 30%, which during that time span, that shows you how much work he put in. I mean, he stayed out the games, getting shots up. I mean, he really put in work there, and I'm sure he's going to continue to work on that over the summer. I think that's kind of the, the next part of your game in addition to what you said, knowing when to, to take over games and when to pull back. I think his shot and his mid-range, I think, is the next part of his game that he needs to improve, and I think he will. I mean, I, I don't worry about Ja at all because I know his competitive drive and how much he works. So I know he'll put the work in, and I think the sky's the limit for him. But again, at, at, at during times during the season, it kind of looked like he had regressed in that area. But I think in the, in the second part of the season and in the playoffs, I think he showed that he can be that next-level player, and that's kind of what you want to see from him. And hopefully year three, we just see that on a more consistent basis. But Yeah, that – that takeover ability during against good opponents, as well as um, you know the ability. You see, everybody thinks that if Jaw adds the three, then he potentially gets to an All Star level. Jaw already is at an All Star level. He adds that three reliably. You're getting an All NBA potential MVP yeah. candidate. He's That's what I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think the mid range is he'll be. I mean, he's never. I don't think he's ever going to be a great three point shooter. But I mean, if he could get that to about 35 percent. Uh, for for a season, I think that makes him virtually unguardable because you have to honor that. If he gets that mid range game, mid range game down, that opens up, just opens up the floor for him. And I think there's just, I mean, type player if that happens. And I, and I think I think we'll see that because again, I think he's gonna put in the work in the off season. I, I have no doubt about that. But we, when you look at this franchise, uh, where this franchise is in the, in the process of reaching the goal of being a contender in the Western Conference. When you look at this offseason, are are you going to push your, all your chips into the middle train or are you on the train of maybe running this back and, and kind of evaluating a little bit more? Um, and when I say going all out, I mean, I don't, I don't think they're going to make any huge moves this summer because, as I said earlier, Zach Lyman in his front office has shown that they're not in a rush to do anything. I mean, we kind of saw Atlanta kind of push their chips in around Trey Young and bring in some veterans. I, I don't, I'm not sure this franchise is ready to do that. What what are your thoughts on kind of this offseason on how far should they push it and should they just should they just run it back and kind of see what happens of this trade deadline? 
One thing that I'll say is this, is that if you look at it on the surface with how successful we, we were last year, you would think that the natural progression would be to consolidate, you know, go out and try to make a significant roster upgrade and then go from there and really try to push for maybe, you know, the top six or top four of the Western Conference. But I, if you look deeper, I think that that is, it's not as much, you know, confidence in doing that because it was Jonas, Dylan, and Kyle that were the big reasons along with y'all while we were successful. The more critical parts to your future, the Anthony Melton, Brandon Clark, um, uh, you know, Dylan obviously was there, uh, but, um, you know, and Jaron, obviously, those three, they had, you know, there were question marks, you know, either injuries or ineffectiveness or, or, or end of the season struggles. So I think that the Grizzlies do need to do it right by themselves to get more certainty about their younger core members that are going to be more important to the future. And the thing that allows for you to do that is then when you're ready to make the big move, you have more of an idea of where you need to make that big move most effective. So I think that they certainly could in the right situation, go get a level of player like a Malcolm Brogdon or a Jeremy Grant or somebody like that. If the deal made sense, do I think they're going to overpay for that? type of player? No. Do I think they're going to make a move just to make a move? No. Do I think that they potentially could make a small consolidation move somewhere? Sure, they could be aggressive in the draft, but in general, I think this roster is going to look more of the same than many might think, and I think it's the right move so you can gain more certainty as to exactly what you have in Jaron, Clark, Melton, and others for the present and future. I agree with you there. I think Jaron not being there for most of the season kind of Changes things gonna be. You need to see what he looks like. Can he get back to the level that he was and how he fits in to to, to this offense and, and this team? And I think that evaluation kind of dictates what else you do around the roster. Because I mean, him and Jock, you expect them to be the guys. And I think you need to see how Jared looks healthy with this particular roster. And I think when you look at this offseason, like you said, I think if something presents itself that makes a lot of sense, like if you can get a guy like Brockton, who I think would fit in perfectly next to John, you don't have to overpay for him. I think you go out and make that move that happens. Now, that may not happen, and I think, like you said, I think we'll see mostly the same. I think they'll kind of uh, change the roster around the edges. I don't expect anything big. Now, one thing that I do think, and I've kind of said this for a while, if they do pick up that Justice Winslow option at $13 million, I, I think that makes it highly likely that they make a move with that 17 pick. I think you look at this roster – and they don't really have room for another rookie to get minutes. And if you pick up that option with Winslow, that kind of takes you out of, out of anything significant in free agency. So that 17 pick might be your vehicle to kind of make a move this season, whether that's moving up to into a different tier of player of a guy that could possibly crack the rotation or use that 17 pick to facilitate a consolidation trade like we kind of talked about. And I think if they do pick up their Winslow option, I think that's highly likely, and I think we could, could see something there. But outside of that, I think we're going to see them kind of work around the edge, rushing anything, or make any quick moves that, that are going to uh, cause any uh, cause blow their assets too quickly, uh, so to speak. I think they're waiting to bide their time, and I think when we really see a move is next, next year, this coming up trade deadline next season and the offseason of 22, I think that's when we can really see this team make a big move. No, I agree. And in Sign's point to it, you're going to have more cap flexibility with this um, creative front office. You're going to have more options available to you, more certainty about what you have. But I do think that you bring up an interesting point in that, you know, one thing that would also surprise me is if we just didn't make any moves if we stood pat i know yeah. we basically did that last offseason but you also could see zach Kleiman make a move to maybe acquire another future asset or two that way he gets a little bit more insurance if things don't work out as you hope they do with someone on the roster or you just add to your cupboard to make that big move when you need it so if there's an opportunity to gain more future assets as well i don't think Kleiman is against doing that either and jerry jackson jr is up for, for extension this summer, if possibly. Uh, to extend or not to extend, that's the question. Uh, what, what do you think about Jared, and should they uh, extend him now or should they wait till next offseason to make him restricted free agent? I think that there's sense in both options. 
options. Um, I, I do think that if you're the Grizzlies, um, the Grizzlies have consistently shown, right? They have consistently shown, in my opinion, an awareness above a lot of other franchises to take care of their players. And I, I don't necessarily know if they max out, Jaron. I'm, I'm not not the best with the contract numbers and all that, but I will say you possibly get him on a five-year, $25 million. You possibly get him on a four-year, $105, $110 million deal. I think that that's, that's feasible. I think you do that. I, I think that you may avoid the total max, but if you want to put him on a four-year, $20-ish million per year deal, I think that that's worth it. I think that that's a gamble you take. We're a small market. We don't have as much say or control as other teams do. We basically have to work with what we get, which we've been lucky to get with Darren and Jaw. So I think that if you can find a deal that makes sense in that four or five year range, 20 to 25 million per, make the commitment, make the most of it. If you can keep him healthy, there's a good chance it's going to wind up working out for you. And so I, I, I think that you at least you explore it. Sure, you can wait the fourth year, but you don't let it become negative. You don't let it become a distraction. I don't anticipate it doing that, but I would probably put it at about a 50-50 chance they get it done this year, and I think it's somewhere in that four or five range, around 100 or slightly above 100 million. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I think as a small market team, um, I think it's kind of important to create goodwill with your players. I mean, Jaron and Jar are extremely close. Um, and I think you don't want to get into a situation where this gets ugly or anything. I mean, you want to go ahead and take care of him. And I think from the Grizzlies' perspective, not that you're going to lowball him, but I think coming off injury, you might end up getting him at a better price than you would next offseason because someone might throw a, a max offer at him and, and then you're looking at maximum out. I think you could get him less than a max if you go ahead and extend him right now. And and as you said, this front, front office is showing the propensity to – to take care of their own players, even going back to Chris Wallace and, and that regime, they've always kind of taken care of the players, their own players, players they want to take care of. And if, if I'm them, I try to get this extension done this summer. I think it shows that they're committed to this core. I think it shows the job that they're committed to to him, them too, as being 1A, 1B. And if you can get it done, and I think you might be able to get it done, like I said, at a better dollar amount this summer, I think you go ahead and, and try to lock him up. I think it's a great point, and it also allows for you to once again set a you know precedent, you know, of if you commit to what we're doing here, we're going to commit to you. Now, that's a bit of a different story with some of the veterans on the team, but at the end of the day, I, they've done what they've done to clearly show they view Jaron as the number two right now behind Jaw, as they clearly should. He has obviously, you know, a very high ceiling. You hope you start to see some of that potential turn to production next year. But with as much as you've already invested in it, see it through, make it work out, and and you know, have confidence that it will. When he's played and been healthy, especially I know it was a short sample size, but what we saw in the bubble, he is a true level difference maker. And so do whatever you can to invest in that. Do what you can to connect the moves of what you can control, and let's move forward with as much certainty with him as possible. Yeah, and I want to send a message out to to some Grizz fans because I got a feeling that if they do uh, extend him this summer and, and they look at that dollar amount with him being out most of the season and him kind of struggling with the shot coming back from injury, got a feeling that a lot of Grizz fans are going to kind of scoff at at those numbers. But you got to realize that in a small market. The type of player that Jaron is, I mean, Jaron could be an all-star level player. It is not easy to get those type of players in a small market. I mean, he's still extremely young, and I have no reason to think that he's not going to get back to the Jaron that he was last season. So if you have an opportunity to lock, lock him up, you go ahead and do it. I mean, this core is going to start with, with John Jaron. And again, and I know it, it's a business in the end, and it's all about winning, but those guys are extremely close, and I think John's going to be watching – the way that situation, the way the front office handles this situation. And you don't want it to get into a situation where this gets ugly or, or a back-and-forth type of thing because that could affect Ja down the line. So, man, if you can get him locked up, and I think coming out the injury again, I don't think they should lowball him, but I think you could probably get him at a little bit of a better number than if you wait till he's a restricted free agent, and who knows what happens at that point. So if you can get it done, man, go ahead and get it done. Yeah, and, and the other thing that I'll add is is that, you know, there, there you know, there is precedent here, right? You know, there is, you know, there has been players like, you know, and I'm not saying that these guys are necessarily comparable to Jaron, but in terms of 
in terms of markets who are not that great of free agent destinations, taking the chance that they have on a talent working out. You've got Jonathan Isaac, who just this past offseason got a four-year $80 million extension, was out the whole year this year, I believe. And then, yeah. of course, you've got Kristaps Porzingis, who you know signed that max with Dallas. So there is precedent. So you know some the, the risk is there, but there's also high reward. And with how well you've taken care of your players already and they've developed under you, I'd be willing for you to bet on your, one of your biggest investment jet, I'd be willing to go that route with Jaron. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think that you, there's always risk uh, in in, 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 in taking, taking on a big, a big commitment like that. But again, I think with, with Jaron, again, I don't see, because physically, when he came back, I don't see anything physically wrong with him. I think it was just rust. I, I didn't see he wasn't limping around or anything out there like he was showing any effects. He looked athletic. He was moving well. I, I just think it was a little rust. And I think over the summer, I think he'll get it back. I mean, he talked about it. He's ready to go, go to work now. I mean, I, I can tell that he he's tougher at the bit, man, to, to come back out there next year and show that he's still that same guy. And I have no reason to think that he he's not from, from anything that I saw in the playoffs. Because, I mean, he even had big games there. I mean, the shot wasn't falling, but he was doing other things, especially later in that series with the Jazz. I mean, he was doing some really good things on the defensive end, and, and, and he was even rebounding the basketball better. That's what he gets a lot of criticism for. And I don't think he'll ever be a big rebounder, but I think he could improve. I mean, he gets to six, seven, seven a game. I, I think he's doing doing pretty well, especially when you got next to Jonas out there. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But again, I'm I'm making that extension. If if we can get him at a good price, I think they should go ahead and lock him up again because it says something to show goodwill and take care of your players when you have that opportunity. But I want to talk a little draft. I know you're a big Tennessee guy, and a couple guys from from Tennessee that are likely going in the top 20 and, and guards Keon Johnson and, and Jaden Springer. And I, I want to get your thoughts on those two before we discuss the most prospects. Yeah, uh, very intriguing prospects, right? A good two-way potential uh, between both of them. Uh, I think that the upside is a bit higher with Keon personally. I love his defensive ability. He's got a mixture of both having the potential to be, I don't necessarily want to use the phrase shutdown, but being highly effective in one-on-one defenses against a, a significant score on the opposition in time. But the big thing that stands out about Keon Johnson is as a guard, he has very, very good turnover producing potential we see what DeAnthony Melton can do that's the type of thing that Keon Johnson can do defensive rebounds high level block percentages high level steal percentages there's a lot of opportunity for him to be a source of momentum shifting as much as being a very good effective actual defender as well um, his offensive game is certainly a, a work in progress there obviously is the slashing ability with his athleticism you feel that with the functional ability of his athleticism on defense, he can eventually develop a pull-up game. Is he ever going to be someone that's going to be highly effective in that route? I don't know. If he's that, you're talking about you know a potential top 50 player in the NBA. But a lot to work with when it comes to Keon Johnson. Jaden Springer, underrated part of his game is his defense. Instead of functional athleticism, it's functional size. Big for his age, but very, very, I don't want to say polished. There's just a lot to work with. He could feature a lot of different things. Showed better shooting touch than many thought at Tennessee, showed some good awareness when it came to getting into the lane, and also some very good instincts as well as recognition of how to use his size on defense. So good two-way talent. think Keon probably goes a little bit too high unless we trade up for our liking at 17, but Jaden could certainly be a good value play for us at 17. Yeah, but I, I like Keon. I mean, he's super, super athletic. He's really good off the dribble. Um, at 6'5", he's able to post up smaller guards. I mean, he's always moving without the basketball. Uh, and he gets to the line. My question with Keon, especially being a, a top-10 pick, is the shooting. Um, like you said, I mean, he's only 27% from three. Really, really didn't take many. And he's 70% from the free throw line. And if you're going to be a top-10 pick at guard, you would like to see better shooter numbers than that. But I think I agree with you. I think defensively, I think it's where he has his most potential. And I think he he's a guy that gets in passing lanes. Again, I, I think he has elite potential defensively. And I think that's where it is. I think just being a top 10 pick and being a guard, I would reserve for you to be able to, to shoot a little bit better than he does. But I mean, I think he has, he has high upside, no doubt about that. And I think De'Anthony Melton is kind of a, a really good comparison for him. Um, and, and we saw how De'Anthony Melton is. Yeah, man, I really like Keon Johnson as a, as a prospect. I mean, he's super athletic. He's really good off the dribble. At 6'5", he can post up smaller guards. guards. 
always moving without the basketball, and he, he gets to the line. My, my question with him and, and being a, a top-10 pick is with the shooting. I mean, he's so only shot 27% from three, 70% from the free throw line. And as a guard, it's a top-10 pick. I would like those numbers to be a little bit better. But I, I like just like you said, I think the defensive potential is, is off the charts. And, and I think the Anthony Melton comparison is, is a really good one. And we've seen Anthony really improve his three-point shooting uh, coming into this season. So uh, maybe we could see Keon do the same thing. But I think he has elite defensive potential, and I think that's the reason why you see him in a top 10 in a lot of these mock, mock drafts. I don't think he'll be there for seven, at 17. If the Grizzlies would like a shot at him, they're definitely going to move up in this draft unless there's some precipitous fall, something that we don't foresee happening with him. But I, I think Keon Johnson probably ends up being a top 10 pick. But for me, again, I would like to see those shoot numbers be a little bit better. And that's the thing that you find with, you know, that's so great about Taylor Jenkins is that, you know, I know that Ja himself has not improved his shooting. I know Justice struggled, but you looking up and down this roster, we've talked about it before on Twitter, Isaac, is that one thing that, that Taylor Jenkins does, he can definitely improve the shooting aspect of a player. So if there's a lot to work with, but the shooting is something that's still a work in progress. I certainly think for a variety of prospects in this draft, you're confident in what Taylor Jenkins can do to unlock their shooting potential. Yeah, this is a little bit off, off subject, but before one of the, the the playoff games against the Jazz, I asked Quinn Snyder, uh, they used to coach together in, in the G League, about Taylor Jenkins, and that's one of the things that he said he noticed very early on with him, even in, in his 20s, been a really young guy, is – how he worked and developed with players. I mean, he said he has an elite ability to unlock potential in players, and I think we've seen that. Whether you're talking about Kyle Anderson or De'Anthony Melton coming back this season, I think that's something that I, I really like about Taylor Jenkins. There have been things that I've been critical of with Taylor, but I, I have no qualms about his ability to to create play. I mean, to get create unlock, unlock potential uh, with players. I think that's something that we we've seen here on display uh, big time this year. Uh, so, I mean, that's one aspect that I think when you're drafting these guys that you feel confident that they're going to get better because I think you have a coach that's going to be willing to work with them and develop their game, and I think we've seen that. Uh, but talk about Keon Johnson. What, what are your thoughts on, on Jaden Springer? Well, yeah, I know um, with him, you know, again, functional may not be the best word to describe both of these players, but as I mentioned, you know, it with Keon, it's the functional athleticism. With Jaden Springer, I like the awareness. He's one of the youngest prospects in this draft. I like the awareness that he has of recognizing that he is more put together. He he has a bigger body about him than a lot of guys his size do, and that helps him out to kind of play that combo guard position, even if he may not be the height that you would expect. He has underrated ability to be a good defender. I kind of worry about his ability to move laterally to stay with some of the elite scores like a Keon can. So his off-ball defense is a, is, is a bit lacking, I think. But again, at 18, that's something that you'll work with in time. But I do think he does very well to affect the positioning of the guy that he's guarded with the size. Extremely good instincts as well to contest shots, Try to try to deter off ball movement. Be as effective as he can be on ball. So I think that there's a lot of good defensive potential, and on offense, there's a lot of work with a lot better catch and shoot threat this season than many thought. His pull up game, something that will certainly develop in time. But the dribble drive game, it's not just about him scoring. It's also the ability to where he's shown some flashes of knowing how to use his size, but also some flashes to play make if a shot's not there. So I think there's a lot of there's more depth to his game than you might anticipate with how young he is. I think he'd be a great value play for the Grizzlies at 17. Yeah, Jaden Jay is, is potentially would be there at 17 for the Grizzlies. And he's extremely young. I mean, he's only 18 years old. Uh, but, I mean, there's a lot to like there. I mean, good floor good floor vision. He's a good passer. I mean, solid from three, though he didn't take a lot. But I think he's he's shown that there is some potential there to, to be a better shooter. He just didn't take a lot. I, w- I would like to have seen him take a few more so you can kind of look at the efficiency there. But I, I think there's definitely potential. Uh, he, he's not a great defensive uh, de- de- defensively because of his wingspan. Doesn't have a, a great wingspan, not really long, but again, super young. And I think there's a lot of tools there as a guy. And, and, and you got to look at this Grizzlies roster. And, and I talked about this earlier. There's not a lot of room for a, a rookie to come in and get minutes. So this is a team that if you're going to take a developmental guy, take a swing, they have, this is the situation. It would be a great situation for them to go to because they don't really need a rookie to come in and contribute. I mean, it's a guy where you can take a red shirt year, so to speak, go down to South Haven, 
uh, get better and, and come back up in 22 and and and, and maybe make, make the big roster uh, and have a spot there. But I think the Grizzlies are a team that has the, has the they're in a situation where they can take a shot on potential. And I think Jaden Springer is a guy that really fits that bill. And I, I wouldn't be upset with that pick at all. Agreed. I think, like I say, if if there's a, a, if there is Springer and someone with similar upside to him that's a taller wing, I probably would go the taller wing. I do think Jaden could be on the court with Jaw quite a bit, but the thing about it is, is that if you're going to pick that type of profile with the 17 pick, you need to make sure you need to have high confidence that that guard is going to be able to play with Jaw several minutes each yeah. game. Going forward, does Jaden Ant check that box for you? I don't necessarily know. But, again, it'll be interesting to see. There are a few more players I'd prefer above him at 17, but I wouldn't be disappointed at all to get him. Yeah, because you talk about some of the developmental guys in that, that range, and the name that you hear a lot mentioned with the Grizzlies is Zaire Williams. And I think, for me, if it's Zaire Williams and Jaden Springer, I'm going Springer uh, between those two. Uh, Zaire, I think Jaden has shown more uh, in his one year in college than Zaire. Zaire has a long ways to go. I mean, there's a lot. To work with there, size-wise, um, you think he has shooting potential at six eight. I mean, he's long, he's athletic, but I think he really hasn't proven that he does anything really well, or that he ever will. I think if you take Zaire, I think that's a pure potential pick. It wouldn't be the way that I would go because I think when they come on the board at seventeen, if they stay there, I think there'll be more sure things on on, on the board than, than Zaire Williams. But again, as I spoke to a minute ago, they are the position to take a swing if that's what they decide to do. I just think that if you look at their potential picks, I think Jaden Springer is better than, than Zyra Williams for me. But when we look at the pick 17, who are a few of the guys that, that you like at that pick that potentially be, could potentially be there? Oh, well, two of them that we mentioned. And, you know, and, and I think that there are cases to be made for both. Um, I, I would go with Zaire over Springer just because of what he potentially could do at his length. And that yeah, gives you the size. Yeah. yeah, well, it's the size, but also I think that he probably has a bit higher upside as a two-way player that I think you'd be able to play in that starting lineup eventually. But I do agree with you; he's a bit further off than Springer. So either way, I'm good there. Kai Jones is someone that makes some sense, and then from there, it, those are the three that I think logically make sense at that position. Um, do I necessarily think that you know we would go with the Josh Giddy? Over any of those three, I personally wouldn't. I think that the playmaking upside is absolutely wonderful. But what about the ball not being in Giddy's hands? I think there are good questions about that as well as his defense. But again, at such a young age, those are things that you live with. Um, but I would say that probably Kai Jones or Zaire, um, Kai Jones and Springer, it's that order for me at 17. And then from there, the other thing, though, is that you hope that maybe a Corey Kispert, a James Booknight, a Keon, a Moses Moody, if one of those fours get into the teens, I really do think it makes sense to potentially see the Grizzlies move up to try to snag one of them. That's kind of my thoughts on what they could do in the draft. Yeah, and you mentioned Josh Giddy, and I'm a big-time Josh Giddy fan. Uh, hashtag Giddy for Giddy. I've kind of put that, put that out there, but I, I think – at his size, at 6'8", 205, I, I think you could make that work with, with him and, and John on the floor. I, I love him. I don't think there's any way to make, that he makes it to 17. If Grizzlies did fall in love with him, I think they'd have to move up to get him. But, I mean, he's a, he's a playmaker, man. Great floor vision. I mean, he's able to find his, his teammates for high percentage looks. Uh, just some of the passes that he makes. I mean, you see these full-court passes. And, I mean, he's just the IQ. Uh, and I think he has better defensive potential than most – European prospects. Um, I think a lot of European prospects come over. I, I think that he lateral quickness and athleticism is usually going to be the, the question with these international prospects. But I think he's a little bit further along there and has more ability there than a lot of these, a lot of you international prospects that come over. So I'm a big fan of Josh Gideon. I think you could could make that work with Josh. Um, you mentioned James Booknight. Booknight is a guy that I really love out of UConn. Um, he's more of a, a scorer than a shooter. Uh, but, I mean, he could really score. I mean, get in the lane, that mid-range game. People say that mid-range game is dead. You saw what Chris Paul was doing there the other night. I think James Booknight could be elite there. 6'5", 190, you like the size there. Shooting guard position, average almost six rebounds a game, which is elite for a guard of that size. I mean, of the guys that are even in the realm of possibility for the Grizzlies, I think Booknight might be my top prospect as far as fit and 
what he can do within, within his offense. I mean, because he Grizzlies need a, a microwave type guy that can come in off the bench and and get buckets. And James Bopnight is that guy. Uh, I, I think he could really fit in and, and play a role for this team off the bench. Um, I, I don't know if uh, guys like Bain could, will kind of beat up. I mean, we know what his shooting ability, but I don't know if he's that scorer that's just going to come in and, and get buckets. And I think Jones Boknight could be that guy. Another guy that I like that's a little bit older uh, is Chris Duarte out of Oregon. Very kind of in that same vein, more of a, uh, a guy that can – he can really shoot the basketball. Um, I mean, he can, he can do it all. I um, mean, really good defender, can, can really do it on both ends. That's good size for the guard position as well. So those are kind of the, the guys that I look at, are Duarte, Booknight, and Giddy. Uh, Giddy and Booknight probably won't be there, but if they are, I think those are guys that the Grizzlies should should really look at. But, but potential-wise, again, I think I, – I, I don't think I, I would go Zaire Williams. I mean, me and David talked about that the other day. I think – I just think there's – he's too far off, and I know they're in a position where they could, could take a risk like that, but I don't think that's the way I'd go. But I think those are kind of some of the guys that I would, I would look at the way that he sees the floor, the way he can pass the basketball, um, I just think it's fun to watch. He's 6'8". He can look over the defense and make some some plays that other guys at the point guard position can't make. So I'm just a big fan of his. And and I kind of talked about this with David the other day, being a small market team. You draft these international prospects, uh, he's going to bring the whole country, Australia, with him. And I don't mind Australia being being Grizz Nation country. So that, that would be kind of fun to see. But those are some of the guys that I can see. But again, I, I think there's a lot of potential for them to move off their pick. Yeah, no. And and at the end of the day, I think one thing that me and you agree on is that you're going to get various opinions. You bring up great opinions about Zaire as to the cons. There's pros and cons to many of these players. But I do think that, you know, me and you agree on the fact that, listen, the Grizzlies have had, you know, they've become a franchise that has been, you know, characterized as being ones that can find, you know, good value on older prospects that they can have reach higher ceilings, higher than expected ceilings immediately, right? They did it with Clark Bain and Tillman. But I think that you could take that same awareness, that same ability, and you apply it to someone who truly has difference-making upside at 17 this year. I do agree with you. I think that an upside play probably makes more sense this year than it may have in previous years. And I'd love to see the Grizzlies identify a player they really, really love the upside of, and then for their work with him to reach that, because I think that's a great way to get a future core member of this franchise with how deep this draft is. Yeah, definitely with the way the roster sets up. I, I think the upside play wouldn't surprise me at all here. I mean, they've taken these older rookies. We saw it with, uh, like you said, Bain and Tillman, guys who came in and contributed immediately, and they have shown the ability on the line could be a part of this this team and, and be a contributor. And I, I think they're in a position, unique position to do that because most teams pick in that early in their draft. They need guys to come in and produce now, and that's not necessarily what the Grizzlies need from that 17 pick. Uh, but I do want to, I want to get your opinion here um, on, on a couple things here. When you look at this Grizzlies season, who's your MVP for this year? Who's your defensive player of the year? Who's your most improved player? And what surprised you most this year? Was it it's a player or, or something that happened uh, from, from this team that, that surprised you this season? Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on, on those four things? Well, my MVP and, and my defensive player of the year is is Dylan Brooks. So one of the things Good. that was there was availability with him. He was the one that was consistently on the floor, but he also was the one in lineups who he was the one who had the po- the highest positive rating, whatever you want to call it. Listen, I know that that may not be the most ideal stat, but it is something that shows that when he was on the court, there was two-way positivity a lot of times. The defense that he played this year was absolutely phenomenal at times. And also there was versatility. He was a big reason why at the first of the year we were doing so great creating turnovers, why we were shutting down really skilled scores towards the middle of the year, and why we became more consistent in half-court defense towards the end of the year. Dylan played a big part in all of that. So my um, MVP and then my defensive player of the year is certainly Dylan. Do think he should have got a little bit more respect in the uh, defensive player of the year voting. Most sure. improved – yeah, yeah, most improved is certainly Kyle Anderson, I feel. Um, the shooting aspect of things certainly made a big difference. I think he also improved in his rebounding. 
you truly saw that there were three, two or three ways each night, and he could adjust which ways these were for him to either be a supporting role and make a difference, or if he needed to be a preferred scorer, he could do that as well. So I think Kyle Anderson certainly was the most improved. And then as far as the surprise goes, it was the defense, right? Like our defense actually did a little bit worse overall this year, statistically, than it did last year. But this season, there were also a lot more. There was a boost offensively throughout the league. But the seventh best defense in the league this year, and in January, we were doing it because we were making teams turn the ball over. In March and April, we were doing it because we were playing effective half-court one-on-one defense defending the three-wheel. So we were able to stay among the best defenses in the league for different reasons, and I think that's really a compliment to Taylor Jenkins bringing out the most of the depth that he had to feature. So those are the answers to the questions, but MVP and uh, Defensive Player of the Year, Dylan, most improved Kyle, and the overall effectiveness of the defense was a great surprise to see. Yeah, for the MVP for me, and there's a lot of different ways you can go with this, and I have no qualms about, about you picking Dylan Brooks for that at all. Um, and I also want to send a shout-out to Kyle Aronson, who, when John went out early in this season, I mean, he really put this team on his back, and I don't think this team would have been a playoff team if it wasn't for his contributions there early in the season. I mean, he played well throughout the year, but, I mean, he really uh, played, played well and kind of carried this team there for a while. And I don't think that's anything anyone ever thought we'd say about Kyle Aronson, that he put a team on his back. But, I mean, he really – they would have been lost early in the season when Ja was out if it wasn't for him. But I'm going to go with Ja Morant still because I think just some of the heroics that he had down the stretch um, in, in that game against Golden State uh, to, to get that, that the playoff spot, to get the, the uh, night seed, um, to put the team, team on his back there. Just the numbers that he put up in the playoffs despite them – Losing the series four to one, I mean, for a guy in his second year, first playoff experience, put up those type of numbers. I, I, I think it's just magical what he was able to do. And I think he hasn't even scratched the surface on what he could do. I, mean, I think he could even go north of that. And that's scary to say. So I'm still going to go with Ja uh, because I, I just think that he is, is the engine that carries this team. But Dylan Brooks, uh, definitely my defensive player of the year. Um, and he improved his game. I mean, you, you just kind of look back. Last season, the shot selection was a lot lot better this year. And defensively, he just took his game to another level. So Dylan Brooks is definitely my defensive player of the year. And I think another underrated aspect of this is I think he's kind of – his attitude, this team kind of takes the, takes the lead of, of from him. The, the way he – the villain role, the way he kind of embodies – a lot of people say that you have to have a crazy guy on, on a really good team. And – I think Dylan is crazy in a good way. Um, and I think it kind of rubs off on his teammates, the energy, just what he brings. I, I think that's discounted a lot. Uh, I, I, so I think the team follows his lead there. Uh, so, I mean, a big year from him. And I think he put himself on, on a different plane than we kind of thought of him. Before this season, he was kind of thought of as a, a guy, when his team gets really good, he's probably going to be a sixth man. I think he, this year he showed that he could be a starter on, on a team that's really a contender. So, But he's about defensive player of the year. But I have no problem with you having him as MVP. My most improved player is obviously Kyle Anderson. I mean, I was a big, a big Kyle Anderson supporter. You know, a lot of people felt square, square peg and round hole coming into the season. But I didn't even see this coming. And I was one of his biggest supporters. I mean, the, the three-point shooting, the way he improved there. And get him, he just gets it done from all aspects. The rebounding, the defense that he plays. Uh, I mean, just high IQ, just makes smart plays. And again, this team wouldn't be where they were. It wouldn't have made the playoffs, I don't think, without the contributions and its improvements this season. So definitely the most improved player is Kyle Anderson. And the thing that surprised me, I think, I, I thought this team was a playoff team going into the season. A lot of people didn't. I did. But I thought Jared would be back a lot earlier. The fact that this team was able to persevere, not only Jared being out, I mean, they had lots of injuries throughout the season. The, the fact that this team was still able to, to get into the playoffs, I think, it's something that surprised me because if you had kind of told me a storybook of the season and how it was going to go and how many injuries they were going to have and guys were going to miss significant time, I would have said there's no way this team was making the playoffs. So the fact that they were still able to make the playoffs, I think that's kind of my, my surprise of the season. Yep, and, and, and that's, again, the thing about it is, you know, um, Jeff Calkins mentioned it on, on Locked on Grizzlies the other day, and I think it's a great point is that, you know, at the end of the day, this team exceeded the expectations many had for them. I think that you're right. You know, many had them kind of in that play-in conversation, but not too many were 
fully confident that they make the playoffs, but the reasons as to why they made the playoffs were probably completely different than you thought they would have been in, in December or January. So, so I agree with you. The fact that this team was able to come together, players were able to play in their roles, depth was able to show through, the defense was able to remain somewhat consistent. I think all those things were great, despite the fact that they were without some of their best players, especially towards the first of the season. Uh, before we get out of here, man, I know we're running a, a little bit long. I want to talk about the, the, the playoffs. And you got Hawks and Sixers tied 2-2, game five going on right now. I don't, haven't checked the score update. Last time I looked, I think Philly was up big. Not sure what's going on right now. Uh, but how do you think that the rest of this series plays out? Because it looks like the 76ers are going to win tonight. I think the 76ers are going to find a way to win. I, th- I think it, it, what eventually stood out for me was that especially when they came back like they did in game one I just think the Sixers are more equipped to adjust to limit the Hawks than vice versa and that's not necessarily a negative thing towards the Hawks it's just the Sixers have been together their core their main players have been together a lot longer than the Hawks best players or main players have been and I think that shines out so I think the uh the 76ers are going to stand out in this one and just to expand on that a little bit you know what has Surprise! Not surprise me, but I've, what I've been grateful to see, you've seen all-time greats like Paul and Kawhi and Durant. They're proving again why they're all-time greats. You're seeing yeah. new stars who were doing well, Jaw, Trey, Devin, and others. And overall, you're seeing teams that are having their best title chance in a long time, the Jazz, Phoenix, you know, Philly, whatever it may be. You're seeing a lot of good things. It's just the injuries in this season just will not stop. It's just it's so unfortunate to see. Those are kind of the things I'm getting from the playoffs. Overall, it's been a good experience. Yeah, it, it's tough to see uh, teams not able to put their best foot forward because of the injuries. The Kawhi uh, news is really tough. Now you had uh, CP3 who's entered COVID protocol today. I mean, that's that's tough to see. I mean, those are just huge injuries. And then with the Nets, you have Kyrie going out with the ankle injury. You have James Harden going down earlier with the hamstring. He came back last night, played 46 minutes, but wasn't really effective offensively. I think he did play a big role as a decoy in that game, and I don't know if they win that game without him, but he's clearly not himself, played 46 minutes and only scored five points. Uh, but to go back to the Hawks and Sixers series, just to talk about the Hawks, man, I, I've been impressed with the Hawks. Um, when After that Knicks series, I was kind of saying, well, how disappointing that was for the Knicks, but maybe I was just uh, underrating this Hawks team. Um, I, I've been surprised at what they, I was surprised that they won that series, and I've been surprised that they were able to come back and tie the series up with Philly. I think Philly goes on to win it. I just think in the end, Joy Embiid and those guys, I think defensively, I think it's just going to be a little bit too much. Uh, but but like you said, it's good to see these young stars, what, what Trey Young has done. Like, I'm not a big fan of the hunting for fouls and everything, but to see these young guys like Trey and, and Ja and Tatum and, and a lot of these new guys in the league, um, I think it, it shows that the league is in good hands going forward. And, and it's been fun to watch. Uh, outside of the injuries, again, that's been really tough. Uh, but I think uh, Philly goes on to win the series, but I've been highly impressed by the Hawks, and that's a team that I've been kind of hating on early in the season, kind of a little but, little bit of a button robbery with the Grizzlies going back and forth uh, with, with some Hawks fans and, and some of their media guys. Uh, it, it's been fun, but, yeah, I've been really impressed by them, and I think their future is really bright. I, I kind of criticize them kind of cashing in for the season and paying, paying a lot of money for the veterans. I thought they kind of rushed it, but worked out. Uh, we'll see if they can get any further, how they proceed going forward into the future. But, uh, I mean, I've been impressed with what they've been able to do with these playoffs. Uh, moving on to the Western Conference side of things, uh, for the Jazz, no Mike Conley and, and a less than 100% Donovan Mitchell kind of talk about these injuries again. On the other side, um, you, you get the news that Kawhi is dealing with, with some sort of ACL injury, um, that he's going to miss game five in Utah tonight and possibly could miss the rest of the series. Uh, who wins tonight, and how do you think this series plays out? Because this is a an interesting one, but I think it's going to be tough for the Clippers without Kawhi. Yeah, I think it's going to be the Jazz. I think that you're going to start to see our, this is the fifth game. We saw what the Jazz did in the fifth game against the Grizzlies. Um, I, I, I the, the Jazz have been playing without Conley, who is less important to them than Kawhi yeah. is to the Clippers, and they're just now without Kawhi. So I think the Jazz's depth is going to shine through. I think the Jazz get enough stops, um, and they don't really let that other person come up to support Paul George. I think they're going to be the one to shoot better, get enough stops. I see the Jazz winning. Yeah, I, I think I think the Jazz. I had the Jazz win the series in seven anyway. Uh, but but I think definitely with 
without Kawhi. I think Kawhi means a lot more to that Clippers team than, like you said, Mike only means to the Jazz. Mike, the Jazz just have so many guys they can bring in. I mean, Clarkson can come in and get you 20-plus. I mean, these all these guys are are, are, are scorers. And so they, I mean, they can overcome the loss of Mike only, but I just don't know how the Clippers overcome that. I mean, that's just too big of a loss for them in, in a high-level series like this. I just think it's going to be tough. And you just hate to see – you just hate to see this, man. I mean, that it's the stars that go down. I mean, it's one thing when you have marginal players, guys, bench players going down, but when you have the big time guys uh, going down, it's just tough to see. And you hate to see series swinging that way. And again, who knows what would have happened? I think the Jazz, I had the Jazz winning in seven anyway, but who knows? I mean, you have Kawhi, one of the best players in the world. Maybe he could have could have pulled this out. Who knows? We'll never know. But moving on to the last series, and this one has been. Really interesting with the Bucks and next uh, KD with uh, a raw performance last night, man, just put the team on his back and, and 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 had the Bucks on the brink of elimination, moving back to Milwaukee for Game Six. Uh, what were your thoughts on on last night's game? It just felt like it was a game that Milwaukee had and they let it slip away and just couldn't no answer for KD down the stretch. How do you feel this one plays out? Well, I think that it's going to be. Hard. I think that there's going to be negative regression for Brooklyn and positive regression for the Bucks because at this point, obviously, the Bucks don't just don't have a choice. Like if Budenholzer loses this game, I think there's a better chance he is on Memphis's bench next year as an assistant with Taylor yeah. Jenkins than there is him returning as head coach to Milwaukee. That's no inside information or anything. That's just me trying to drive home the point. I think he's done. You've got that. You got Giannis, who you know is going to be motivated. But the big thing for me, besides the failures of Giannis and the historic performance of Kevin Durant, the third best player in that game last night was clearly Jeff Green. And the Bucs just can't (laughs) allow that to happen. You can't let Jeff Green step up and have a better game than Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. So I think something gives on the Bucs in. I think they win game six, though it's in Brooklyn. I think it's going to be hard. For Brooklyn to have that type of performance again, maybe Joe Harris gets better shooting the ball. Perhaps Harden's healthy enough to step up. But I do think that the uh, Bucks. I actually think the Bucks do win this series. I, I think that they figure it out, get the win in Brooklyn, and I think that they'll figure it out and get the win um, in um, uh, Milwaukee after that. The only thing that derails that for me is if Kawhi, Kyrie, or Harden come back healthier than expected. I could certainly see the Brooklyn winning it, but I do think the Bucks kind of right the ship a bit. And I'll go a bit off the uh, the beat path here and say that the Bucks win it in seven. Yeah, man, uh, that, that's different. I, I think the Nets win it in seven, but it's I, I agree with your points made there. It's going to take another heroic performance like that from KD, and you're going to have to have someone else step up. And Jeff Reed's not going to shoot seven to eight from three again. I can I would put put my house on that. I don't think. We see that again, but you're going to need someone else to step up like that. And you, you think Joe Harris would kind of be that guy. And he just has not been in this series. I mean, you expect him to, especially when you have Kyrie and James Harden down, I mean, you expect him to kind of be that guy. And he's not been that guy. They're going to need either one guy to go large like Jeff Green or a couple guys to kind of help Katie out or, or it's going to be tough. But again, I just find it, I, I think the Nets find a way to win one of these two games. I just think it's going to be hard for the Bucks to win two games, and, and like you said, I think Bruno's is going to be looking for another job here come pretty soon, and I wouldn't mind him being on, on, on as an assistant. I think it would be great to have him uh, on the staff here in Memphis, but, man, good stuff, man. I made it through. Had some technical, technical difficulties, but made it through, man. I appreciate you taking the time to, to join us, man. Before we get out of here, uh, let, let people know where they can find you. Yeah, uh, my name is uh, Sean Coleman. Um, it's uh, um, I'm at Stats SAC. On Twitter, uh, that you, I do a, a daily podcast called Locked On Grizzlies uh, on the Locked On Podcast Network. I also um, am very proud, very, very thrilled at any chance that I get to uh, uh, put the written word down over at uh, Grizzly Bear Blues, part of the great staff over there. Joe Molinax, obviously, um, is going to be on the show tomorrow night. He's, he's our um, manager over there. Wonderful, wonderful leadership from him. But uh, you can find my stuff at SBN Grizzlies. You can find uh, uh, what I you know do for podcasts over at Locked on Grizzlies. But this is the reason why I love doing this. It's to finally get the chance to meet great folks I, I, I've known of uh, Isaac and David for, for a few years now. I've had the chance to interact with them, but actually getting the chance to sit down and talk, especially with you, you Isaac, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, and l- certainly look forward to doing it again sometime. Man, de- definitely appreciate you jumping on, man. Glad to, to catch up with you as well, finally, outside of, of, of social media and everything like that. Glad to have you here 
on the program. And make sure you go over and check out their stuff over at SB Nation Grizzlies. They do a great job. A lot of different voices over there. And when, when I told Joe this when we had him on, one thing that I like about them, you guys over there, is that everybody's not the same voice. Sometimes you have these organizations where everybody's kind of on the same level. I mean, you guys are from different ways of the spectrum. You go from Nate Chester to, to Joe, different, definitely different different opinions over there. So I've always liked that about SB Nation, Grizzlies, Grizzly Bear Blues. So make sure you go check out their stuff. As Sean said, David David Williams and Joe, Joe Mullinex will get it on tomorrow night uh, right here on Hootball Grizz. Make sure you go to at Hootball Grizz. Follow us over there. You can follow me on Twitter at Isaac underscore Rivals. You can follow David at Will 2111 And for Sean, man, thanks again for jumping on. Uh, for me, it's been Isaac Simpson. This is the Hootball Grizz Podcast. And until next time, we go. This has been a Hoopball presentation. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.